How do you live your life like tomorrow matters? Perhaps you're already growing food, consuming less, connecting with your community. Perhaps you're already thinking hard, keen to see the world a little slower, greener, healthier. But where to begin? Here on the Future Setting Podcast, we dig deep into the hearts and minds of blissfully normal people doing bloody amazing things, unearthing their moments of contradiction, their hopes and fears for the future, and what galvanises them to action, in the name of inspiring all of us to do a little more in shaping a better future today. I'm Jade, and this is Future Setting. So today I'm chatting with Alex Elliot Harry, who is one half of the iconic and very lusted after Cornersmith in Sydney. These guys have a cafe, a cooking school, an online preserve store, and have written three cookbooks. The most recent one has just come out. So it's fair to say that you've made food your world in every way known to man. Welcome to Future Steading. And tell me, did you grow up around the rhythms of food? Is that why and how it's become such a massive part of your adult life? Yeah, it's interesting. I was only thinking about that the other day, but um, I grew up in, a, I guess, a share house, really. So it was with my mum and her best mates. And we. It was, a, it was a house that everyone liked to cook in, but also it was really a house that a lot of people were drawn to. So it became like the hub, I guess, of a lot of different people's lives. So people were coming over for dinner all the time. If people needed somewhere to stay or if they needed somewhere to live for a little while, it was that house. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, when you're a kid, you don't really think about the impact of your household, particularly around you. But I guess community and food and bringing people together has always been really, really important to me. And it's only sort of lately dawning on me. I was like, that was such formative time for me of this kind of generosity around food and celebration and how important it is to sit down and share food and tell stories. So, yes, I didn't learn how to pickle at somebody's knee. So it's not sort of coming from there, but I learned how to love food and appreciate food and also how powerful food can be, I guess. Mm, how you build conviviality around it. Yeah, and there was a lot of laughs in my um, house growing up and, you know, it wasn't a conventional mum and dad kind of set up and I guess it really did feel like um, my family was creating their own community and a lot of that was to do with eating. Mm. And so then you've gone in and turned it into your your business and your you've taken your yeah. passion and turned it into your your job and your life. And does it still have the same magic for you or has the fact that it's become a business made or meant that you don't actually see the magic in that anymore? That's a really good question. Um, I think, no, food for me is always, like it's, I guess it's a thing that I always go back to. So it's really important to me to feed my family in the best way that I can. And, you know, like, honestly, sometimes that does mean fish fingers and frozen peas and there's no issue with that. But other times it means something totally different. Um, And I'm, I guess, the person that, you know, invites people around for meals and cooks if people are feeling a bit blue and that kind of stuff. Um, No, I think I'm still really passionate about food. But I guess where I'm heading now, which is different, is that I can see... um, almost what the future of food needs to look like. And so I guess there's always something new to learn. So Mm -hmm. my food journey kind of started out when I was trying to be really super sustainable and the most, you know, the most wholesome and the most, I don't know, the goodest person you could ever be around food in my household. 
And, you know, I've got teenagers now and you totally lose control and there's like Slurpees <laughs> and KFC in the house when that's not what your like morals and ethics are. So you have to adjust. And I guess for me now, I feel like, you know, being making everything from scratch is not the answer um, because it's actually not sustainable for your mental health. But what do you do in busy urban lives mm. and how do you, how can you make a difference basically? So yes, food for me, it's always there and it's always what I come back on. I like really get sick of cooking dinner. Like I get, I've been doing it for a long time and I get over it, but I feel like I'm constantly learning. And at this point in time, I'm super enthused about what's next for me, mm. I guess. With food. So what is next? So someone who's based in an urban environment whose life is food 24-7, whether it be cookbooks mm. or cafes or pickling school, what does the yeah. future of food look like for you? Well, for me personally, I feel like education is where we need to go and mm. I'm really lucky to be in that world already um, and our cooking classes are really popular and, you know, we teach online classes and teaching more and more people but I feel like I need to move more into that sphere because we are in a climate emergency. There's nothing we can do about it. Um, and people need some practical skills and people need some hope. And I feel like I can bring both of those things to the table mm. and give people a sense of I can do this one small thing and not totally um, – you know, it can be really exhausting having to carry the weight of being really sustainable as well for working people. Um, I don't know. I feel like it's like bringing practical solutions and helping people realise that their kitchen, whether they cook much or not, can actually be a site for positive change. So I guess that's where I'm heading. Mm. I kind of want to help people understand their kitchens more. In yeah, a really no-judgment way. Like yeah, and let us fall back in do. love with it all again. Yeah, totally. And that can be a really tiny thing. And that's what I want to get across is that, you know, you don't have to grow everything yourself and completely cook from scratch and make pasta and make butter and do all that kind of stuff to make good choices in your kitchen. <laughs> yeah, it's so lovely to talk to you because, um, you know, people say to me all the time with future steading, but how do I do that if I'm not on land? I'm like, wow, there are yeah. so many little tiny ways and it could be as simple as a pot of mint on your kitchen bench that you pick a couple of leaves from at three o'clock every day and have a, have a cup of tea in the sun <laughs> with. Exactly. You know, it's just being alert and, and observing and, yeah. and aware of all of the mm. things that you can actually do. So as I said um, at the very beginning, you are one of two and have you always been in business together? So I've, I'm just going to clear up. There's this kind of, there's actually three of us. So my husband, James, and I own the business together and we've oh. owned Cornersmith since the beginning. So we've had it for 10 years. So we started it as a family business um, and James and I opened that little cafe in Marrickville 10 years ago. We were super, like, we'd never run a business before. We were super green and big-eyed and... <laughs> Bushy-tailed. Yeah, seriously. Um, James has always been in the hospitality industry, so he at least had some experience, mm -hmm. um, a, a lot of experience. He's come from, you know, coffee and bars and cafes and roasting and blah, blah, blah. So he wanted to give his hand a try at opening his own business. And I, at that point, had been home with two little kids. I had my babies kind of early. So, and I was home with two little kids, kind of like losing my mind a bit because I didn't know what I was doing. And I had two small children and James was working all the time. 
But I discovered, that's when I discovered pickling. And I kind of did it as a way, as I, I was trying to understand, I was into food, I was trying to understand how to be sustainable in the city. I was trying to feed my kids well. There was heaps of shit growing in the garden that I just couldn't get through. Couldn't stop thinking about food waste. And so I somehow stumbled into preservation. And because I'm a bit of a lunatic and really obsessive, I just, once I discovered pickling and preserving, I could not stop. <laughs> you pickled everything. <laughs> no, seriously. Like, I know there's that Portlandia thing, like, you can pickle it, but, like, that was actually my life. <laughs> I, there's nothing I haven't pickled, Jade, everything. Um, I know. You've got so, like, I, pickled ginger grapes. Anyway, we're going to get to those in a second. Pickle. <laughs> yeah. So I just pickled everything. And I started, um, I started just filling my garage up, like didn't know what I was doing. It was like, I was like preparing for the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> I didn't know. I, <laughs> I was prepping without knowing what prepping was. Anyway, I live in, I live in Dulwich Hill, which is a um, neighborhood in the inner West. And it's an old Greek and Vietnamese neighborhood. So there's heaps of fruit trees in, in like a pretty urban space, I guess. And I would see all these fruit trees, but I'd also see all this fruit like dropping on the ground and rotting and, you know, like people don't always know what to do with mm, the amount that it's they distressing. grow. That was so distressing. Like I was like lying awake at night thinking about the kumquats or whatever. <laughs> so I started knocking on people's doors because, as I said, I'm a bit of an obsessive person. I'd be like, hi, would you mind if I picked your kumquat tree because I can see you're not using them and it's keeping me awake at night. <laughs> <laughs> This could be a win-win. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And they, most people were like, yes, please take those bloody things off me. But not everybody. No, a few people told me to fuck off. Sorry, <laughs> I didn't know if I was going to say You didn't anyway. say that because I'm sure they were their words. <laughs> yeah, it were, which was odd. But anyway, and then I take the stuff home, I teach myself how to preserve something, and then I take a jar back to that person. Oh. And I just built up I was like I didn't even know what I was doing I was like 27 with two little kids and like losing my mind but also trying <laughs> to kind of build community I guess mm. understand food build connection and these people would like give me a recipe of their grandmothers or we'd talk about gardening or you know it just kind of I mean I kind of learned how to preserve from a lot of the nonnas in the neighborhood who was so happy to see me. I was like, they're wet You're dream. a breath of really. fresh air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> breath of fresh air. I much prefer wet dream. That's a much better description. <laughs> so I like, I, you know, I learned how to make olives in Greek. I don't speak Greek from a neighbor. Someone else taught me how to make, you know, get the bitterness out of Seville oranges in, an, in I think she was Greek as well. Anyway, so I just kind of, this preserving felt really important to me. But I didn't, I mean, what do you do with that? I don't know. I was just yeah, trying to next? figure out. I was trying to figure out who I was, I think. So when um, my partner James wanted to open a business, that's when I was like, okay, I feel like people are looking for community and connection and food and I think we've got to try and take this ethos at home and see if we can make it work in a business setting. So we opened the cafe. It was a huge success. Like we were not prepared for the kind of success that it was. Mm, yeah, I feel like um, you've been a household I name forever, more than 10 years. Yeah, no, only 10 years. It feels like a lot more. So then I opened the cooking school and I opened that with Jamie, which is why there's this confusion. And Jamie is the one that we run the cooking classes and we wrote the last two cookbooks together. Right. So there okay. is, they just so weirdly have a similar name. That's why everyone thinks we're just one big 
strange person. <laughs> and that sometimes Jamie gets called James and sometimes James gets called yeah. Jamie. And so... Yeah, and I get called both of those things all the time. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> three of you. Alex. Yeah, really weird. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, because um, it's sort of androgynous. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so that, that's how we all fit in. Okay, so that clears up. And I guess the next question was, um, you know, as soon as you take your passions and you put them into the pressure cooker environment that is business, small business, with a couple of you at the helm, it, it can become really complicated. But you guys have pushed through and done this for a decade and it's still going strong. It's amazing. Yeah, look, I mean, it's not without its problems. It looks, sure, it looks really shiny on Instagram, but, um, <laughs> you know, we've just, we've been through a pandemic and James and I are a married couple and Corner Smith has gone in, like, taken lots of different twists and turns along the way and got really big and now we're trying to make it, I guess, fit a bit more into our life. Um, we're raising kids and... I don't know, I feel like the pandemic, not only was it a huge financial like wake-up call and alarm, it was also made us kind of reassess a bit what we want to be doing. So, um, yes, it is. It's, well, it's been a wild journey and not all of it is as lovely as it looks on Instagram, but we, love, we just really love what we do still, mm. which I guess is what makes it, why it's still kind of, evolving in and I think it'll end up being something quite different to what it is now but that would be that would be natural and that would be healthy yeah. you know that's yeah that, that's sort so. of the natural process that it's supposed to undertake and it's got to be um let to do that you know you need to encourage yeah. it to go in the direction that energy flows and and see where it ends up and it also yeah. speaks to different people when it evolves too yeah, and to the different conversations that are going on because it's kind of, it's a creative business, but I guess it's also, you know, it's a bit of a political business in some ways mm. in that we have really strong messaging. Mm. And I feel like in some ways now is really our time to stand up and shout really loudly because mm. everyone has to do something. We can't pretend this isn't happening now. Mm. And um, even if that's just a tiny thing, everyone, there's no household can't do something sustainable now. No biz, Every business has to be doing having sustainability at the forefront. Mm. So, well, even more deeply, even now. beyond sustainability, because that only keeps us where we're at right now, but actually looking Absolutely. proactively towards regeneration of all of our our efforts, you know, is every decision that we make has the ability to have an outcome, whether it be re degenerative, sustainable or, or regenerative. And so, so what is our choice? You know, we've all yeah, got those absolutely. choices. And we have to just start looking forward. And I feel like I've been kind of doing that for 10 years without even really realising particularly what I was doing. Mm. And now, yeah, I think it's an exciting time. Mm. So the idea of being really bold doesn't intimidate you at all because you've sort of been doing it. I guess so. I mean, I think I've, I've gotten more, as I've gotten older, I've gotten more confident with being bold as well. Um, but I also, like Cornersmith has always been, you know, we wanted to be a space where you can just come and have coffee and a delicious toasty and not think about anything, or you can engage a bit more deeply with that as well. So we've always wanted to, I don't know, I guess maybe early on it was like really quiet activism where I was just like trying to make people understand that the seasons were important and that it was important to know where your food came from. Um, and now I'm much more staunch. Um mm about stuff and I think that's also because 
we have to be now. And do you think people are comfortable with that? I mean, sometimes you go places and you think, I don't want this shoved down my throat. I just want to have that toasty. And sometimes you actually want to be attracted or you want to be um, close to like-minded people. Yeah. I mean, I think the cafe now, I mean, it's hard to say because the pandemic just had to operationally had to, we had to shift everything that we do. So the cafe really now is a really awesome neighborhood cafe where you get delicious food and, you know, pick up a jar of pickles and people can, um, you know, bring in their backyard produce and trade with us. So that's a nice, it's a nice place to have. I think maybe where the um, uh, more activism, I guess, is coming in is in the cookbooks, in the cooking classes, um, in the conversations conversations. that we're having. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I guess that's more and more where I feel like I'll be heading, I guess. Mm. I do want to ask you, you said just a second ago that people bring in things to trade. So, you know, there was this whole um, 10 years ago or maybe more, 15 years ago, there was this whole new benchmark where if you're in the food sector and you wanted to be at the top of the pile, you were talking seasonal food, seasonal fresh, local mm. food. Um, yeah. And then that's that's kind of hygiene factor now. That's not really what puts you at the top of the mm. pile. Everyone kind of needs to be that. And then there was this yeah. whole new wave of small small scale and not so small scale um, restaurants and, and fooderies, eateries, where people were claiming that all of their food was provenance identified, but there were so many mm-hmm. holes in that and so few people were actually able to do it legitimately. But you guys yeah. seem to have really held your own and stayed really, really true to that deep belief that this is actually what's needed. Why is it that you've mm-hmm. been able to do that? Is it? Do you think it's the relationships that you've built? Look, I think, again, I'm going to say that I'd say over the pandemic that that has been a really hard thing to Mm -hmm. maintain as well. So what we have done is kept, I would say we have almost like three avenues of the way that we get produce or products. Um, And some of that is really mainstream. Like it's just, you know, we're ordering from the markets like every other cafe in Sydney. Mm we're really strict about the um, relationships that we have with, like, you know, where our milk comes from, where our eggs come from, where our, and we have built those relationships over a long period of time. Um, I think the thing, the trading, um, which was so huge for such a huge part of um, Cornersmith's existence, is where people can bring in their backyard produce and trade that. Um, and we use it on the menu or we turn it into pickles and preserves or whatever it is. Um, and that we had to put that to dormant, that, during the pandemic because we couldn't take mm-hmm. things from people. And that's just starting to pick up again now. Um, and I think what that does, look, it's not like it's the majority of the, it's not the majority of the produce that we use at Cornersmith, but people, every time people want to bring something in, and um, we want to um, highlight that and engage in that because it's, Something that people, again, there's like small things that people feel like they can do something. And I think that's what it is. It's like, I am not going to let all my grapefruits rot in the back garden this year. I'm going to collect them and I'm going to take them to Cornersmith and they will turn them into a delicious drink or whatever we, marmalade. Um, And I think that's what I'm really trying to get across to people again is that nothing has to be black and white like it has to be this or it has to be that or you have to know exactly where this comes from but there has to be something that you're doing Mm. and I think that feels really easy for people 
Mm, and that's what we need to do is we need to make spaces where it is simple for people to do something that is the better choice, I guess, environmentally. Mm. You've really created a third place, haven't you, where it's not your house or my house, but it's a space where everyone feels safe and everyone can be. And understanding where you've come from as a child, it's really easy to understand that that's, that's really what you lean back into very comfortably. Yeah, I guess it is. And I, it's funny that I, it's taken me so long to join all the dots together. But mm-hmm. when I sit here and have these conversations, I'm like, oh, of course. I mean, it makes perfect sense. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for making me think about that. <laughs> okay. So you pickle everything under the sun. You have pickled mm-hmm. ginger grapes. I do want to go back to this because I've never sure. thought to pickle grapes, let alone pop them in yeah. with a bit of ginger. Of all of the things that you've pickled, what's your favourite? Oh, God, such a big question. It's um, like asking you to identify your favourite child. But let's be honest, we yeah, do have exactly. them on days, different days. <laughs> my, kids, my kids are obsessed with who my favourite is. Anyway. <laughs> um, I know, it's really every day. It's really tedious. Um, I'm going to say, oh, there's so many. I've really been enjoying, I do, the pickled grapes are one of my favourites, which is why they're in there. And I don't think we in Australia pickle enough fruit or think about fruit in a savoury way enough. Mm. And we have so much grapefruit in this country, like Mm. the same amount of fruit. So pickled grapes are awesome. Um, At Christmas, I always pickle cherries and they end up being kind of sweet and sour and tangy. And, you know, you could serve them with the Christmas ham. You could toss them through like a grainy salad or something. But you could also pop one in a cocktail and they're, so delicious so I think yeah and I did I pickled some um pineapple not that long ago which was really delicious as well and then I used that when I was making this kind of like salsery type you know I I had red onion and avocado and chili or something in there as well so look pickling fruit is great um I do make a very delicious pickle that has is a cucumber pickle but that has gin in it as well Mm. and a grown-up pickle a grown-up pickle, exactly. That there one's needs to be a few of those in life. Okay, so I live yeah. on an apple orchard. What am I best to do with my excess apples? You live on an apple orchard. That's yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, well, we have apples and berries, but um, the berries, awesome. you know, you can do a million things with berries, but apples, we've always yeah. got an abundance and are short of squeezing yeah. them all, squashing them all. Yeah, so apples aren't great pickled. and I mean, they're fine, but they're not, and I think that's to do with the starchiness. Mm-hmm. So bananas are gross pickled. Um, please never pickle a potato, those kind of things. So texturally apples get a bit weird. Like a short-term pickle would be fine, but a long-term they get a bit weird. Yeah, fresh pickle, quick pickle. So when I have excess apples and that's like honestly a kilo from the supermarket that my children have decided that aren't good enough for them, <laughs> um, I there's a couple of things that I would do. I mean – it's really boring to say an apple pie, but what I actually do is I make an apple pie mixture, but I bottle it. Yeah. And then I can it and keep it in the cupboard. And yeah. then you kind of like have half made a pie. And I really love things that it's like, it's just like the easy version. So you could, you know, make pastry or buy pastry and that's in the freezer. And then you've got the mix and it's, you can quickly pull together an apple pie and look very impressive when you haven't done that much. <laughs> well, the um, kids can on your behalf when you're at work. Well, still. the kids can, sure. Yeah, my teenagers love being in the kitchen. Um, <laughs> they really don't. They're fully rejecting me and my lifestyle at the moment. <laughs> uh, how old? 
uh, 16 and 14. Yeah, yeah. You're everything that they don't want to be. And it's their job, right, yeah. to be the opposite to yeah. what you are. It's fine. Come around. I'm just I'm rolling with it. Um, but also, I, get, I mean, obviously, chutney is delicious to make as well. But I keep all my apple scraps and make vinegar. Mm-hmm. And that is something you don't even have to have. Like you could have two apples or just the skins and the cores. And I think just things like that. As the kids go yeah. and they cut the skins off yeah. and finish with the cores, pop them in the freezer and encourage everyone to put them in there. Yeah, exactly. And I think things like that, you know, knowing how to make a tiny batch of vinegar, even if it's just like, you know, in a jar with, you know, two cups of water and all your apple cores and stuff. That's what I want to get people across. Like you don't actually have to live on an apple orchard. Apologies, Jade, but not everybody does. And you <laughs> no, don't. that's wise of them, let me tell you. <laughs> and also you don't have to do batches of stuff. So yeah. my, last, my last cookbook is actually about like making one jar of things. Mm. And to be honest, that's how I preserve at home. Like I'm really busy. Like I'm running a business and raising kids and writing cookbooks and I don't spend the weekend bottling apricots anymore. But if I've got like three shitty old oranges that no one's eaten, I will make a jar of marmalade because it's worth it rather than throwing them out. And our household only needs one jar of marmalade, you know? Yeah, and then right. by yeah. the time we've eaten that, there's going to be some like pear. Something else, the next thing can... that needs to be presented. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll make some pear butter and then that's what we'll be eating. So I just want to also get across that preserving's great and – you know, I spent years and years making hundreds of jars of everything and filling up my pantry and prepping. And now I definitely <laughs> don't do that. I am a one, one to two jar The garage is mat. now for the car, not for the prep stores. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Um, and that, you know, like, it's like while I'm cooking spaghetti bolognese, I'll be like, oh, I'll just put on the whatever while I'm here. I'll just like, I've got two sticks of while celery. While I'm stirring. Yeah, I'll turn that into a, there's two sticks of celery left over. I'll just quickly pickle those keep them in the fridge and then next week I'll know that we'll have that tossed through to Bali. So I kind of, it's like actually it's a, it's a way to reduce food waste is how I look at preserving now. So it's using what you've got in every way, shape or form. So people used to come into the co-op and say to me, but you haven't got this and this and this in, which means I can't ever shop in the co-op. And I'd say, no, but we have got this and this and this, which means this week mm. that's what you should eat. You just eat what, yeah. we, what you can get your hands on. I want to know, yeah. using what you've got is sort of your mantra in all things, do you extend this into other elements of life? as well outside of the kitchen? Yes, I definitely do. And I'm very annoying because every, in my household because everyone <laughs> has to use everything up before I dare buy anything else. Um, yeah, I look, definitely. And I don't buy heaps of stuff. Like, I don't know, I don't go shopping very often. I should a bit more. Um, but I think it is about, um, I don't know, it's just like, I guess it's about being conscious. Like, do we need more of that? And for me, I mean, my focus is the kitchen. And I also think it's really important to put out there that, like, maybe choose one thing that you want to focus on rather than feel like your bathroom has to be zero plastic and your kitchen has to be zero waste. And, you know, like, it's not, if, you, if you're at the beginning, it's not sustainable to, for, for yourself. I mean, sustainable for yourself um, to do everything. And you won't actually end up doing it all because it will be too overwhelming. So I feel Crash like I super go slow. Yeah, yeah, and it's better to kind of like make sure that you do one thing consistently. And we don't actually need everyone to be super, super perfect all the time. Right now, we need everyone to be doing their little bit, and that's where bigger change will start to happen. Um, we so need yeah, everyone to be awake. 
we need everyone to be awake. We really need everyone to be awake. And I feel like a little bit, is it like, do we need everyone to just be like a little bit uncomfortable? Because I think that makes you think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was kind of, I know it was really stressful for people, but suddenly when people in the pandemic, when people couldn't get an ingredient, I was like, this is actually secretly really good because mm-hmm. they're going to have to think of what to do without mm-hmm. that ingredient or what else they could use. Mm-hmm. Um, and like what you're saying about at the co-op, like that's my whole, I'm trying to teach people to just be awake in the kitchen. And if you don't have a lemon, think about what a lemon actually brings to a dish and that's acid. So I'm like, why don't you tip a bit of pickle juice into that? Or why don't you use a little bit of vinegar? Or do you have a grapefruit instead? So instead of like running to the shop, like it's actually, yeah, it's thinking. Mm-hmm. It's thinking before you mm-hmm. buy something else. And just not being passive in it. So really being in mm. it and really mm. um, not being told what to do, but actually owning it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And that's how we, at the cooking school and in the books, that's how we teach, which is, um, like you could use this or you could use this or you could use this or you could use this and it will all be okay. And I think that's, you know, and I write cookbooks, so I want people to buy cookbooks, but I also think cookbooks do it, are quite problematic in that you look through them and a lot of people, if you're not confident in the kitchen, go and buy all the ingredients they're told to buy. Yeah. Um, they cook that meal, they clean up, the next day they've decided they want to have something else and it's repeat, repeat. Whereas cookbooks don't tell you how to use up the other half of the cauliflower yeah. and the other half the jar of whatever yeah, yeah, you yeah. Well, you must have so had the same problem I had. When I submitted my um, my just copy to the publisher, they came back and said, they're not recipes. They're yeah. sort of approximations. And I said, but it's sort of how I cook. It's completely dependent on what's yeah. in the veggie garden and what's in the bottom of the fridge crisper and, and what I've got yeah. an abundance of. And that's what I use at the time. And I have a, I find a way to combine all the things that I've got an abundance of at any given time. So I don't know that I can ever be exact. And they were saying, well, it's not how people <laughs> yeah, use a cookbook. Be. <laughs> you, must yeah, exactly. have, you must have found that a real challenge too, did you? Oh, always, always a challenge. And look, this last book doesn't even have any pictures in it, not even one. So it's like not a, they can't even look at the picture to get the answer. <laughs> and make it up. Um, <laughs> and make it up. But I guess I've gotten better at having, um, you know, I think we also have to, like you have to assume that people don't have any knowledge but then also assume that people do have common sense. Mm-hmm. And I think... We do need to, like, I agree with the publishers on one hand, but I also think if you look at cookbooks, I've got a lot of books from, like, I don't know, is it the 50s? I'm not sure. And it's so loose. Like, there's not, there's, it's like, and then you just put the pineapple in. Like, it doesn't say anything about how yeah. you cut it, how do you, do you take the skin how off? much of it? You, <laughs> but it's also kind of cool because you have to think. You're like, yeah, pineapple skin's not great, so I might cut that skin off. Whereas now it's like no one wants to make any mistakes. No one wants to. And if you put the pineapple skin on and then when you eat it, you're like, yeah, that's not great. Next time you'll, you'll learn. learn. So, Do you take yeah. your um, your use it up uh, mantra right to the nth in that if you cut off watermelon or pineapple skin, you then pickle those? Um, look, yes, and I'm very irritating as well. I'm constantly <laughs> pulling things out of the bin that my family has put in the bin. Um, so, yes. So if you cut, I wouldn't pickle them, but with the um, pineapple skin, I either, like I was saying, I've made a very delicious pineapple skin vinegar 
or there's a um, drink that you can make that's a fermented drink that's based on a, um, I think it's a, Me- it's a Mexican fermented drink, tapache, tapache. And they put the skins in with water and brown sugar and like a chili and some cinnamon and it turns into a fizzy fermented drink, which is really delicious. Um, pineapple skins also great. Sometimes I just make a syrup. So I cut off the pineapple skins. We eat the pineapple. They go into a pot just with sugar and water and maybe like star anise or ginger would be nice. And you bring it to the boil, let it simmer for a while, turn it off, let it sit, let all the flavors infuse, take all the bits out and then turn it into a syrup. So you thicken it a little bit. Mm -hmm. And that is very delicious, poured over a cake, poured over ice cream, pop it in a cocktail if you'd like. So yes, I think what I try to, and look, I don't do it every single time. I do have a compost and sometimes things go in the compost if I'm very tired. But what I do- (laughs) And you do have kids and you do have a business. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But I do, because everything is kind of, you can get flavor out of it and you can turn it into something you know, like once I started cooking like this, I just saved so much money. Mm. So it's a, it's this double thing of like, yes, I, this is good environmentally, but it's also on a personal note, it's really good for my budget. Mm. And I really want people to think about ingredients as in, it's almost like a two for one deal. So if you buy pineapple and then you turn the skin into something else, not only have you had lovely pineapple, you've also ended up with a second product. You've got um, a syrup. And that's my yeah, the syrup. And that's my approach with so much stuff. So if I buy cauliflower, you know, I'm buying the cauliflower and we eat that, but cauliflower leaves are delicious. So you're also buying a green. So then I, I think wouldn't that with buy carrot tops kale. too. Yeah, carrot tops, great. So I turn that into pesto. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of buying, I try to buy ingredients where I'm getting two for one. So instead of throwing apple peels away, we make vinegar. And it's like little, it's not, it doesn't take a lot of time. So I'm does your kitchen act- bench look a little bit like a science experiment? very much like a science experiment <laughs> and when my daughter was younger she was like what is wrong with this family and bacteria <laughs> and labels how do labels go in your household because well I don't use labels but I know what everything is and my husband spends his life yes. saying I don't know what that is and if you don't label it then I'm going to throw it out or use it incorrectly so put bloody labels on yes. it I don't label anything we've got this one cupboard that I just call the lucky dip cupboard because I don't I actually don't even know what it is now <laughs> Just see what's gonna be. <laughs> but uh, I do recommend labeling. People, everyone label. It makes your life easier. And so with kiddos, you've got teenagers. I'm assuming yeah. much like most of the people I talk to, you have kids that, that kind of come on your journey with you and they're completely engrossed and engaged in it until they hit about twelve and then they start mm. to push back on you a bit. Yeah. Where are you at? Is that what's happened with you? Oh, totally. I mean, look, my kids, when they were little, grew up in the kitchen and grew up, you know, making things all the time. It was just kind of, I guess, part of our, part of just the way we operated. Um, They are less interested now, completely less interested. (laughs) But I guess they're still, I mean, they still sit at my table most nights and eat. um, And they're not completely unengaged. So, you know, they roll out pizza dough and they my son knows how to make gnocchi and blah 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 but they're not they don't want to hear it really Mm -hmm. at the moment and also I want them to have a really healthy relationship with food and a really healthy relationship in our household so I'm like you do you you know like come back when you're ready out of this yeah come back when you're ready because I'm not going to fight about it Mm. um you know I do hang over the fence and yell out have you got your keep cup 
you know, often, <laughs> and but they don't love that. <laughs> um, so I'm, you know, a bother. But um, I'm just hoping, like in like I grew up in a house where I didn't really think about the food that was on the getting on the table every night. I just kind of was there. If I was asked to help, I would help. Um, but I wasn't I didn't think about I didn't love food when I was a kid. Um, so I'm hoping that this is just like going into their pores and their mm. brains. And um, both my last cookbooks are actually, I feel like the book that I wrote, I mean, look, it's not like it's dedicated to them, but I feel like it's a book that is helpful when you move out of home and it's mm. going to give you a really good framework. So they were in my mind with that um, because I think it will just give them, I don't know, some, I guess some like really good knowledge starting, starting up. But I reckon just, so anyone who's like kids is just starting to push back on it, just relax about it is my advice. Yeah. Let, let, let there be some Doritos and mint slices in the pantry and just <laughs> and relax. Me, me goring in single-use plastic <laughs> bowls. That's what mine of mine went to school with this morning and I nearly died and he said, just get over it, will you? It's not like I bought it yesterday. I, I bought it a month ago. I said, surely that tells you that it's not edible. <laughs> I know. Look, it's the same. The two-minute noodles is just really quite problematic, but I'm just trying to breeze through that one at the moment. <laughs> and just realise that you're in the same sea that everybody else is in with 15 and 16-year-olds. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Uh, writing the cookbook. Let's mm. deep dive on, on the process of that for you. Have, you. have you loved writing them and that's why you do it because you feel like it's an opportunity to share knowledge or do you find it an absolute push? I have a lot of feelings about writing cookbooks um, and I think the last two are probably the most, like I was so flattered to be asked to write the first cookbook because it was quite early on in Connor Smith's life um, and I was shocked because I was just like, what, you want me to write a book? Um, and I did like, I really liked that process but it was quite overwhelming. <laughs> the last two books, um, uh, use it all and the one that's about to come out the food savers is it's like it well they were both written in lockdown as well so there was it's like a double there's like a lot going on there so I was like homeschooling the kids mm-hmm. trying to write a book the, the, the cook the um you know business was falling apart so there's kind of it was quite an emotional experience in some ways mm. but it was also a really awesome time to focus on a project like I felt like that was I was actually really glad that I had that mm. um and I love it I really do love it and I think I love it because I'm also quite good at um like making I don't want to say a mind map I don't know what else what else Mind that makes sense. Bringing, I know what you mean. Mm. Yeah. And because my books are a bit different, it's not just like picture, recipe, picture, recipe, picture, recipe. Um, it's um, You've got to like, you know, for example, I had two parsnips in the fridge the other day and I was like, I've been looking at these fucking things for a really long time now. I don't know what to do with them. I'm sick of looking at them. Luckily, I wrote this great book. So I turned to see the parsnips and it said, oh, make the potato rosties on page X with, parsnips instead and I was like excellent I got someone wrote a book and was smart enough to then link people to other ingredients within that book so that kind of stuff I love of like getting trying to imagine how people are going to use it and how to like it's like a puzzle um and I feel like that's really educational so yes obviously I do love it because I'm sounding 
bit like a lunatic at the moment. But yes, I love the I love the process of it. Um, and I get a lot of pleasure when people stop me and say how much it's changed the way they operate in their kitchen. Mm. And that gives me a lot of joy. Mm, it's tangible. You you can really see the impact that um, your long, slow, committed journey that is now being shared is having on others. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Mm. And just little, you know, making people feel like, I don't know, they kind of have said that it takes the guilt away, it gives them ideas and most importantly, lots of delicious things. So, mm. yeah, I do, I do really like it. I mean... I'd like to be the kind of person that could just write cookbooks, but I like have to run the business at the same time. So it's sort of like a side hustle, I guess. Mm, gets shoved into all the dark hours of the day and the, yeah. the corners yeah. that aren't otherwise filled with all the other important mm. things. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, fully understand. Are there more cookbooks in you? I think so. I think there are. I mean, I feel like this kind of cooking, like we were talking about before about, starting off, you know, I, I guess I'm getting clearer and stronger about my messaging. And this is the the way that I cook is the future of food, really, which is, mm. <coughs> sorry. Which is sort of the way food was. Yeah, exactly. And then like, we, had, really we had excess. And so now, now we're back to having to really think about the fact that it's going to cost you a bucket load more if you don't start to cook this way. And so really we're faced with a decision. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's not going away. So in some ways, I feel like there's more, there's definitely more in me because I feel like the people are going to need more um, information, more guidance around, around cooking like this. And I've, I've been really doing it. Like it's not, I think that's why Cornersmith is successful. And I don't like to use the word authentic, but it's, is actually our real life. It's not, mm-hmm. I'm not jumping on a bandwagon like this mm-hmm. is how we live and operate. And it's not a marketing ploy. It's the real deal. No. Yeah. 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 It is. And so sometimes <laughs> those syrups aren't quite right and sometimes those pickles yeah. aren't quite right and that's just the reality. Yeah. <laughs> that is really the reality. And look, you know, some, occasionally mould grows and you have to deal with that as well. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I just really want people to understand that, like, it's not all, it's definitely not perfection. And I think that's, with you know I think Instagram does a real disservice to Mm. this kind of way of living in that it feels like it has to be Instagram perfection Mm. um and I think it's not like my kitchen is not what Instagram looks like it's it's a bit mental Mm. and there's actually not that much food to be honest like my cupboards and my fridge are quite empty because everything I bring into the house I want to make sure there's a use for so there's not heaps of excess all the time yeah 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 see we're the opposite because we grow all our food you end up with an abundance of all sorts of things and then you have to scramble like a crazy woman to actually process Mm. it all so we do batch um as opposed to what you do but I love what you do because it actually fits in with with people who aren't homesteading so it makes a whole lot more sense yeah okay so if you I'm just mindful of time because I know you're a very busy woman and we need to let you get back to that other um, science experiment that you have going on on the side. Um, <laughs> before we go, if you were to give yourself a piece of advice at 16 or 15 or 12 with the knowledge that you have now, what would it be? Oh, God, 16. Um, I thought you were going to say at the beginning of this journey. Um, well, maybe then. Oh. Move it to then. Move yeah, it to them because that's where lots of people are now. 
that are listening to yeah. this? Yeah, I think um, I would say I wish I'd gone a little bit slower in some ways. Mm. Um, and I am like, you know, full of ideas and hungry for knowledge and information and doing things and making change and went really hard, really fast. And while that's great, I think it was almost a bit too much. And I, and I think trying to like run the business, raise kids, do everything in the best possible way that I could at home is actually too much. Mm -hmm. And I think that especially women who, you know, the reality is, is that a lot of this stuff falls on the women. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I wish I'd, yeah, I wish I'd gone a bit slower. And I also wish that I knew that, I mean, it's not about food, but it's about parenting. I wish I'd known that parenting was actually a 20 year job. And I think I peaked too I soon. It might even be longer. You know, like, <laughs> I know, well, probably. I mean, that is. Yeah, if I think about my mother, she is definitely still parenting me from time <laughs> to time. And I'm 45. <laughs> it's really long. Don't pick too soon. And, like, don't worry if your kids don't cook with you in the kitchen when they're two years old. It actually doesn't matter. <laughs> like, it really doesn't matter. And things, you know, change and evolve. And, yeah, I wish I'd had a, I wish I'd given myself a little bit of a break, to be honest. Yeah, that might just be the best advice for the day. Well, folks, that firecracker conversation with Alex was our final episode for Season 6. So with a pocket full of inspo to use it all up in the kitchen, he's hoping to a festive season of enough, but with limited waste and excess, it's not really a bad mantra to live by, is it? To keep you company over the next few weeks, we've dug deep into the archives of previous conversations and we've selected eight of our very favourite for you to pop into your ears during these long, slow summer days. And actually, we've already recorded a few episodes for season seven, which will be shared from Monday the 27th of March. So pop that into your calendar. And the big news about next season is that in response to popular request, we're actually going to return to weekly releases for what will be just a 10-week season. It's been a massive year on so many fronts, and my gratitude really sits solidly with all of those who've joined me to share their stories, and also with you, who has loyally sat with us to listen And of course, to everyone who thanked us with a little spare change via the Buy Me A Coffee link or who jumped in boots and all by committing to a monthly Patreon subscription. We actually genuinely rely on this support to continue hitting the record button. So thank you, really. A really simple gesture of support also could be to subscribe to the pod. It doesn't really seem like much, but actually it boosts our algorithm appeal, which means we get shared a whole lot more and we see much higher downloads when we get flurries of them and it's ultimately a grand thing. I'm now signing off for the year and I hope that you'll join me in going slow, thinking local, connecting deeply with your closest folk in the place that you call home and thinking hard about all of the daily decisions which ultimately lead to all of us building a regenerative life. I hope you have a chance for a nourishing break. Until 2023, go gently.